Hello, and welcome to the Transforming Generations podcast by OnPoint, where we dive into important topics in education with actionable information you can take straight back to your school or classroom. Thank you for listening in today. Today, we are talking about grouping students into teams with Matt Michael. Hi, Matt. Hi, Megan. Can you give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself? Gladly. I am in my 24th year teaching 8th grade language arts, and I'm in my 14th year as an education consultant. For eight years, I worked for Kagan Professional Development, and this is my sixth year with OnPoint. Wonderful. Now let's dive into teamwork. First, why is teamwork an important skill for students to develop? Well, teamwork is an important skill for everyone to develop, students and adults alike, because we find ourselves working in teams quite often. And teamwork plays an important role in the overall development of the student because cooperation is such an essential part of teamwork. And so when we talk about teamwork, we're placing students in opportunities for them to develop many skills, including emotional intelligence, which is going to help them later on in life. And so when we talk about teams, we're talking about working together Uh, to solve various types of problems, whether it's academic or non-academic. And when students are in teams, they get to be in an environment where they challenge and support each other and share and learn new uh, perspectives. And also, we're addressing some of those skills that employers want later on in the future. So really, when we think about teamwork, not only does it help students with some of the skills that we obviously know it helps with all the intangibles that sometimes we forget to mention throughout the course of an education. What's the difference between teamwork and group work? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Let, let's start with group work because my entire educational career, I had been told to work alone. I had been told not to talk to people. I have been told to uh, remain in isolation and, and do my own work and it's my grade. And so when we mention a word like group work, that gives the connotation that is counterintuitive to everything we've always been told. And so group work has this idea of devaluing an individual contribution. If you're working in a group, obviously, or the assumption is, is that one person is doing all the work. And, and so when we mention word, a word like group work, we're talking about, um, is it really credible? Is the work really valid? Are all students really contributing to the overall product? And, and we can't always answer those questions. And so group work has that type of negative connotation. When it comes to teamwork, on the other hand, though, we're talking about a specific definition, and and that is where we have synergy created from individual contributions. Each individual in teamwork brings something to the table. I am bringing a product that I'm going to share with other people in my team, and, and through that collaboration process of sharing our ideas, we're creating something more than what we would have been able to accomplish individually. And so earlier, you know, we mentioned intangibles. Teamwork focuses so much on collaboration and cooperation because all the students are bringing an answer and if they don't have an answer, they're hearing something, especially at younger grade levels, they're hearing something from other people that maybe jumpstarts their ideas and and we deal with that a lot when it comes to, you know, struggling learners or lower achieving learners or students that speak other languages that are trying to learn our language. Sometimes there's a disconnect and, and being in a team helps them perhaps uh, make some of those connections. I think the most important part though about teamwork is all the authentic learning experiences that are created. 
because students are reacting to each other, these are authentic experiences that shape their social emotional skills and their collaboration skills. And students are reacting to each other in real time, so the students' responses are authentic. And these are those memorable experiences that students can take with them later on. And even probably most importantly, when students are working in teams, they learn to accept and appreciate constructive criticism because everyone is so authentic. And that's one of those skills that we need um, as adults and kids alike. Definitely. What do you think are the biggest benefits of providing students with plenty of opportunities to practice teamwork? Well, teamwork allows students to drive their own instruction. And, and what I mean by that is as students are collaborating, this leads to reflection and improvement which we'd like to refer to as a continual improvement process and students are able to extend their own thinking without interference from others and what I mean by that is when you have an opportunity to actually make a correction on your own you're taking ownership for your learning and that's very empowering especially for students as they're working in teams and you know also students are learning how to learn when they're hearing ideas from other students and that allows them to improve their answer they come to the understanding they don't have to know everything. They recognize that it's okay to share ideas. It's okay to build upon someone else's idea because it helps all of us. And students begin to recognize that the more time they spend in teams. I think probably the most important benefit from teamwork is this teacher's role in teamwork. And that is if our goal is continuous improvement for all students, the teacher is called upon to further extend the student's answers with next steps or questions or redirections. And so the teacher has the ability in real time, this is key, in real time, as he or she is walking around the classroom to positively, positively excuse me, drive a team in a specific direction or stop the class to ask a team to share a great idea with everybody or stop the lesson to address a recurring question that keeps coming up as the teacher's walking around. And why this is critical is Traditionally, we may have to collect papers from students, evaluate those papers, and the next day we come back into class having prepared a way to address some of those issues. When students are collaborating in teams, and as we mentioned earlier, sometimes extending answers on their own, the teacher gets to walk around and offer praise and say, that's a great idea, or address specific instances now, where it's most powerful in that learning moment by providing that immediate feedback. Research talks about it, here's a way to do it. Awesome. One of the big issues teachers have with teams is how to go about placing students into the teams. Should they based, uh, be based off a test score? Should the groups be mixed ability? There's so many different factors at stake. How do you place your students into teams? Well, what I'm about to share is, is sounds complicated, but really when we break it down into steps, it is quite simple. And our goal in creating teams is to establish and create balanced teams where each student is placed in the best possible position to academically, socially, and emotionally be successful. And it's a place to further develop their strengths and improve weaknesses. So it's an opportunity for us to really evaluate the whole child, to take a look at all of the strengths, the weaknesses, and place them in a position with other students who can complement those strengths and weaknesses so we have class success. But I want to take a second to mention some of the reasons why teachers may be afraid of teams. And a couple that have come to my mind are some teachers are unsure how to go about creating highly functioning teams. 
And I'm gonna address that in a second. And oftentimes when we place students in teams, we think that that's going to equal a loss of classroom control. And I'm going to mention how it really is opposite of that, how really we gain more control through teams. And some of us, as we're listening to this right now, can think of those one or two students that there is no way we want to place in a team with other students. It just isn't going to work. But I'm going to argue that this is exactly the type of environment they need, a team. And a team is going to help those students be more successful. And one of the most prevalent concerns is cheating grades. How do we establish grades and, and what do we do when one student does all the work or completes all the work for the whole group, which is something that we don't, we don't um, allow to happen in teamwork. So let's start with teams. And, and what we do is by creating a balanced team, we're, we're really going for, when I say balanced, a, a mixed ability team. And we need to take all of our students and create index cards or some sort of recognition where we can separate each, each individual student. We're gonna put their name on the index card and we're also going to give them a designation of high, medium high, medium low, or low. Now let me define these designations. The designation, again, I mentioned the whole child. We're taking into account all known attributes about that child. Is he or she an introvert, an extrovert? Does he or she require special accommodations, motivation, attendance? How are they as far as possessing leadership qualities at the moment? We're gonna consider all of those items along with their curriculum competence. Because if we're gonna have a mixed ability group, the high student needs to demonstrate leadership qualities, but he or she also has to have curriculum competence enough to be able to support the other students. So we don't strictly go by numbers but we need to designate our high students as those who can lead or in, a, or in the best position to lead a team. So those are our high students. Let's skip down to the low. These students don't always necessarily have to have the lowest scores. They, they most likely will, but they also might need more support. They might require more patience. They might require someone who is patient enough to help them because they're learning a second language. And so we wanna pair those low students with a high student who is going to be very supportive in that team. So now we have our low designation. The medium high and medium low fall in between, obviously. They may have some very high academic strengths, but not as high other strengths. And so we then take one member from each of those four designations and put them into a team that complements each other in strengths and is in the best position to positively address those weaknesses. So by going about it that way, we're creating a team that, in my argument, because I've done this for 14 years, creates more classroom control. And let me explain. If I have one or two of those very disruptive students, but I place him or her in a team that has a very strong leader who is going to be patient yet firm, and then I place him or her with another medium high student who's very strong, and then place them with someone who is not going to fall off track or out of focus as a medium low, I have now, in other words, stacked the deck with that one student who creates the most trouble by placing him or her with three strong students. And so then what I can do is I can strategically place that team in a location where the more troublesome student is facing away from everybody else in the class. So I have this mini learning community. Once I do all of this and I take into consideration everything that I know about these students, I'm actually increasing my control. If a problem happens in a team, trust me, kids are the first ones to rat each other out. 
they're going to point to the student creating the problem. I'm not going to have to go looking for it. How does it help as far as too loud or off topic? We'll, we would be surprised because I am always pleasantly surprised with how often students will refocus their classmates to getting back on task. They'll say, hey, come on, we need to get this work done. They'll encourage and support each other. And the beautiful part about that is I don't have to intervene. Yes, there are times when I have to, but the first time they're hearing, hey, you need to get your work done, you need to get back on track, is coming from positive peer interaction. And that support from within that team builds trust and it's a win-win for everybody. So I think there's so many positives. As far as cheating and grades, that's group work. In teams, we require students to first be individually accountable for the work. And then in addition to that, we then ask students to collaborate to emphasize the, the whole purpose of continual improvement. Now, and this is where we shift the paradigm, we are, we are convincing our students that it's okay to talk and share because it, it's smart learning. It's a smart way to learn collaborating and sharing because what that does is that better prepares you, that better prepares me, that better prepares anyone getting ready to work and perform individually. Now they're better prepared to perform individually and do so successfully. So that's why, you know, the grades we don't worry about. All grades are individual. But the learning process, the learning process to get to the point where they can complete an individual assignment, that is all done collaboratively because that's how we learn. One point that I wanted to ask you about was, with all of that combined, it sounds really complicated. Um, but also a lot of that information you get just by being a teacher, being in the classroom, seeing what happens when kids interact. So how long does it take you to create your first set of cards? You know, thank you for mentioning that because you're right. A lot of, a lot of what we write down on these index cards is just from being a teacher, from being in the classroom and knowing our students. And so once we have gathered this information, it usually takes me about 45 minutes to fill out the cards and create a team. I know that sounds like a lot of time, but I always remind myself, every minute I'm spending creating an index card, recording information, and creating a solid team is one less phone call I'm making home, is one less time I'm asking students to get back on track, and it's one more great answer that I'm receiving from a team. So it's so worth the time to spend making these teams because the benefit is not just for me, but it's for the students. We're all benefiting because students are placed in a position to be successful. And the other thing I wanna mention about the index cards, this is working information, meaning students can change levels at any time. Students all of a sudden maybe have gone from a, a high, someone we designated as a high, that maybe all of a sudden they're struggling and then we redesignated them as a medium high. There have been times when I started off the year designating someone as what I perceived as a medium low who ended up being a high. So we can change this information as you go because that's what we as good teachers do. How often do you change your teams and uh, how long does it take to create these new teams? Well, when I change teams, I do that every four to six weeks. I do it at four weeks because no sooner than four weeks because there are going to be problems sometimes. But I'm going to prove to the students that you can't run away from your problems. Let's address them in a very positive manner where we are building on strengths, as we mentioned, and then we're improving weaknesses. So that way we are better prepared to act better and be more productive in the next team. So four weeks is the minimum because we have to go through that learning process. Six weeks is the maximum because we don't want to ruin a good thing. 
And I always like to remind students when, when they're doing really well and why would you break us up? We're doing so well. And my standard response is because if you're doing so well in this team of four, I want you to take that information into four new teams. Let's spread it. Let's let other people learn from your great learning experiences and, and help us each be better in our, in our next team. When I create new teams, no more than 10 minutes. It just depends. If I'm recording information, if there are a lot of designations, 10 minutes max. All I do is place all the cards out in their existing teams. I place the high on top of the medium or above, excuse me, in a matrix. And I can see all their current designations. And I can take one card from each new row from a different team. And in each then, then each team member is working with three brand new students. And quickly, it seems like. Very quickly. 10 minutes is very quick. Have you ever created a team you didn't like? Well, I've created teams that I greatly underestimated <laughs> or overestimated their skill sets. And so there have been teams, yes, to answer your question, and it's going to happen again. It will happen to me again. It happens each time I make new teams. But we have to remember we're considering the whole child and, and our whole goal isn't just academic success, it's social and emotional success, it's emotional intelligence, it's learning to cooperate with others, it's learning to learn from others. And so I always remind myself that those students are just going to need more emphasis on specific skills. I have to be more direct with them and say, hey, let's practice this skill today. We're going to have those teams, it's going to be okay, but I challenge those teams. Hey, listen, we're gonna to have to work on this. We're going to have to practice more on active listening. We're gonna to have to really work on taking turns. And trust me, as difficult as it is in those first couple days with those challenging teams, when they're successful and they realize they can overcome that obstacle, those are the kids who then, uh, th then springboard into even greater things for the rest of the year. So what do you do if you have a class that has, let's say, 25, 26, 27 students, something that's not easily divisible by four? What do you do with those extra students? You know, that's a great question and that will happen. As a middle school teacher, my numbers are always changing and, and sometimes I have to have a team of five, sometimes I have to have a team of three. The reason why we try to avoid teams of five at all costs is because when we're in a team strategy, four people are waiting. And that's just too many. It's just too much time, too much downtime for students to then have to try and remain focused. So what I do in my teams of five, and I have two of them in one class right now, is I break up a lot of my activities in that particular class into partner strategies. So in one team of five, I'll divide, for example, I'll have students work with their face partners. So I'll have two students acting as a partner and I'll have three students acting as a team. So that way I have two out of five speaking instead of one out of five. It cuts down on the wait time that a lot of those students would otherwise find themselves off topic, looking around the room, distracting others. It's going to happen and it's not a bad thing. It's just something that we want to try to avoid when possible. We don't want a classroom filled with teams of five, but if we have to have one or a team of three, then we just make those adjustments as necessary. And the one rule I do have is if I place someone in our team of five, I make sure that the next time I form teams, none of those five team members are in the next team of five. So as we come to a close, do you have any other tips, tricks, any other feedback that you wanna give us? I always go back to something I learned many, many years ago from reading Classroom Instruction That Works by Robert Marzano, and that is, 
it takes 24 repetitions of any skill to expect to become 80% competent. If we've never created teams before and we're going to try this, expect there to be hiccups. That's normal, that's okay. So my first tip is be patient with yourself. Be patient, understand that by taking the time to try to create highly functioning teams, you're serving your students extremely well. You're giving them wonderful benefits and life skills that they would otherwise never have if they're seated in rows and isolated in their learning. The second piece of advice is patience again, but with the students. Because anytime we learn something new, there are going to be hiccups, even with the students. And so, yes, they're going to be overexcited because you're, out, you're allowing them to work in teams, you're allowing them to partner up and talk, and so there will be growing pains in that process. But once you have something, even one team has a successful moment, you're gonna realize how worth every single second of creating teams and encouraging students to learn this process, how powerful that is for those kids and how that then positively influences the rest of the class. The other thing is, as a teacher walking around the classroom, once you create the teams, teachers are problem solvers. We wanna fix things. So my last piece of advice is let the students talk. Be an active listener and an active observer. Let the students share their answers without interjecting. Let them self-correct and problem solve because you're gonna see so many smiles on faces when students work through their problems and they figure out their own mistake without anybody else telling them. That's, that's ownership of learning and that's a lifelong goal that we have not only for students but for adults. Wonderful, thank you so much. You're welcome. So that wraps it up for today's topic. Thank you, Matt, for dropping in today to chat. Very welcome. Check back for more podcasts with actionable information you can use in your classroom. If you enjoyed our podcast, follow us at onpointedu, subscribe, or leave a review. Thanks again for listening, and remember, together we can transform generations. If you have an idea or topic you would like to be interviewed for on our podcast, email info at onpointclassroom.com.